Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Exodus. Enjoy the message. We've just started Exodus, um, this great Old Testament story of God's rescue of the people of Israel. And we've already dealt with uh, chapter 1, and then last week we started chapter 2. And uh, what we've discovered as we begin chapter 2 is that this chapter begins and ends with a marriage. We were introduced in chapter 2, firstly, to Moses' parents. Moses' parents meet, and soon after meeting, they give birth to their third child, Moses. Moses is the third uh, in their family. And then towards the end of the chapter... Moses gets married. And so what we are inclined to think, or what we should be thinking, is that actually this narrative moves very quickly. So at the beginning, we've got Moses' parents marrying and Moses getting born. And at the end of the chapter, Moses is getting married and he's having children. So within one chapter, the narrative is moving fast. Now, to help you cope with that, what you need to realize is there are two 40-year segments. The first Verses 1 through 10 are the first 40 years of Moses' life in Egypt. And then the second half cover the next 40 years of his life. But here's the big kicker. The big kicker is that Moses was doing really well in Egypt. Remember, he's a prince. He, he rose through power. He became influential. He was educated in Pharaoh's house. He was looked after. He enjoyed the treasures of Egypt. But something happened. Something happens in today's story that means he has to flee Egypt. And so after 40 years of living in the lap of luxury, he has to flee Egypt and he goes to the outback of outbacks. He goes to a place called Midian. And it's a, it's a, it's a real contrast from what he's grown up in. And so we need to ask ourselves, why? What happened that he needed to flee after being in such opulence after being in such a place of power and influence. And so we're going to unpack that. But before we go there, I want to just uh, tell you a story about uh, IBM. I don't know if some of you know IBM. It was kind of like Apple back in the day, uh, a big, big computer company. And uh, about 30 years ago, they were really kind of emerging into a a space of success. And uh, part of their story is that um, at the kind of boom of their company, uh, they appointed a young executive who was kind of a hotshot and uh, he, he was very promising and had everything going for him. And they put him in a position of great influence. And at one particular point, at a very important time in the history of IBM, he made a critical, critical error. And in a deal that he brokered, the company ended up losing $10 million dollars. Now, 30 years ago, that was a heck of a lot of money. And so he gets called into the, the founder and director's office a couple of days later. And uh, this nervous, young, professional executive walks into the office. And uh, he's already thought this through. And, uh, and, and, and so he blurts out before his boss can say anything. He says, listen, I know, I know you want my resignation. And uh, his boss looks at him and he says, you've got to be joking. We've just spent $10 million educating you. 
And sometimes our biggest mistakes become important lessons. And what happened in this story, and we don't have time to get into it, but actually they leveraged this mistake, this huge mistake, and he learned so much from it. And he came through the other side. Now, in the Bible, we find stories like this. And that's actually what happens in today's story. We, we find that some of the heroes of the Bible actually made big mistakes. And they let people down. And they let themselves down. And they let God down. I mean, heroes like Noah. Noah gets drunk and naked at the inappropriate time. Abraham, Father Abraham, lied twice about his wife telling other men that she was his sister. Do you know what that means? She's available. Abraham, what are you doing? I mean, once is bad enough, but twice. Isaac did the same thing. He learned from Abraham. Bad influence, Abe. Jacob, what about Jacob? Jacob deceives his dad and steals from his brother. David, King David sleeps with Bathsheba. He commits adultery. And then he murders, has Bathsheba's husband murdered. These are our heroes. The Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, lists these guys as mighty men of faith. And then we get the disciples of Jesus who at the critical time abandon him at his crucifixion. And then as we read tonight, we're going to see Moses Murders an Egyptian. Moses kills someone. Moses, what are you doing? And so all these stories really point to human depravity, human weakness, human sinfulness. But they also show us that God can use broken instruments. D.L. Moody, he says this concerning Moses' life. He says, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I know sometimes we joke about students. You know, students do a four-year degree and they cram it into six. Well, Moses, Moses stretched his education from 40 years in Egypt to 80 in total. 40 in Egypt, 40 in Midian. These years in Midian were years of education, character building, and growth. Let's jump into the story. Moses' first 40 years in Egypt. So we've already got to the end now of his first 40 years. Look at this, verse 11. One day... When Moses had grown up, okay, we're going to talk about that now. He's an adult. He's, he's almost 40. Uh, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, 
Why do you strike your companion? So they're having an argument, two Hebrews, and the one guy biffs the other guy. And uh, Moses is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He intervenes and he says, uh, the guy answers him. Verse 14, he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. He thought he got away with it. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So now we know how he got to Midian on the heels of a disaster. But notice how the the verse begins. In verse 11, it says, one day. And the author, (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, I wish I could get into Moses' mind here. But actually, this is after 40 years. But it happened on one day, all right? But, But we're not told that this was... Uh, 40 years. So, so verse 10, in chapter, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Moses has been born. Moses has been rescued from the Nile. Moses has been nursed by his mom. Moses has been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. End of story. Moses is still a baby. Verse 11, one day when Moses was 40. What? Now, now, now how, I mean, we, for Moses, this was okay because it, he was in the lap of luxury. Remember, he was growing up in Pharaoh's household. He had everything at his fingertips. But how would this have gone down for, for the Hebrews? How did this go down for the Israelites? They, they're thinking, Moses is born. There's a promise of a redeemer. There's a promise of a, of a deliverer. But 40 years, they have to wait more. They have to wait for 40 years. And Moses has waited for 40 years. And then one day, Moses decides to act. And the text says, one day when Moses had grown up, he acts. All right, here's what he does. He went out to his people, looked on their sufferings, and now it's time to act. So, so, so let's just rewind a little bit. How do we know it was 40 years? Because you might be asking me, well, how do you know? The text doesn't say it's 40 years. Well, actually, Stephen in the New Testament tells us in Acts chapter 7, have a look at this. Here's what Stephen has to say concerning the story in verse 21. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. So we're just jumping straight into his narrative. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own. And we, and we know that, right? That's what happened in the first 10 verses of chapter 2. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. In other words, he got his PhD at the top university in Egypt. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. He's a, he's a powerful prince. He's, he's, he's in a position of influence and power. Verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart. So something changed in his heart. It came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Now what we realize is that Moses is drawing a line in the sand. 
And although he was raised in Egypt, and although he lived in Egypt, and although he walked like an Egyptian, he identifies, if you missed last week, that was last week's joke. He identifies not with the Egyptians, but with the Hebrews. Look what he says in verse 11. It says he went out to his people, his people. He saw an Egyptian, Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. In other words, not all of his education was Egyptian. There is a sense in which people told him the story of his birth and who his mom really was and, and who his people really were and, and who was in his family tree. And, and Moses knew that, that actually God had called this people that he had been part of and that if you trace his lineage back, you go all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Moses is part of this family. Moses belongs to that tribe. And that was rooted deep down in him. He knew that he belonged to this people group who was being oppressed. This people group who were slaves in the very household that he was living in. And so the day came where something changed in his heart. And he had compassion on his people. And so what Moses does is he puts the deliverer hat on. And he wants to begin to act. And he goes out. But the problem is he overestimates his position. And he short circuits God's timing. And in the process of trying to begin a revolution, he strikes the Egyptian so much so that he dies. We don't know how. Might have been a sword. Could have been a fist fight to the death. But the narrative is alarming. Firstly, he looks this way, then he looks that way. He doesn't want anybody to see. After killing him, he buries him in the sand. Some commentators say that that's quite indicative of what's going to happen to the Egyptians in the near future. When God pours out his judgments upon them, and as they're crossing the Red Sea, they're going to get swallowed and buried in the waters. It's very interesting. But now's not the time, and this is completely inappropriate. So firstly, he kills the Egyptian. And then secondly, the next day, he tries to intercede an argument, kind of mediate an argument between two of his own people. And how do they respond? Look at what they say in verse 14. They say, who made you a prince and judge over us? In other words, we don't want you. Who do you think you are? We know who you are. Yes, you're a prince. You're a prince in Egypt. But you, you haven't earned this. You haven't earned this space. And so right up front, we see Moses in his first two attempts of being a deliverer, he fails. He fails. Now, Moses' intentions, we, we believe, were right. And, and, and the reason they were right is because what was happening to the Israelites was wrong. They were suffering under slavery. But the way he went about alleviating it was all wrong. I mean, think about it. How on earth do you, 
I mean, how would slaying one Egyptian lead to an overthrowing of all the Egyptians? I mean, Moses really was taking this matter into his own hands. He wasn't seeking God's face. There's no, nothing in the text about praying. Nothing about, God, is this the time? He just gets it in his heart and he acts impulsively. We're going to revisit that thought. But what we see next is now he's a man on the run. He's a fugitive. Pharaoh wants to kill him. And that leads us to the next part of the story. Moses is 40 years in Midian. So now he's on the run. Verse 16. So he's arrived at a well in Midian. And verse 16 says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. So these seven young pretty ladies arrive at the well where Moses is hanging out. Let's read on. Verse 17. The shepherds came and drove them away. So we've got these rogue shepherds who are being bullies to these seven young ladies. Drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian. He's not an Egyptian, is he? Well, yeah, he's dual citizenship, remember? He's an Egyptian adopted, but he's a Hebrew. But look what she says. Look what the ladies say. An Egyptian, what? Delivered us. Already Moses is learning. He doesn't murder the, the, these rogue shepherds. He doesn't get into a fist fight. He, he uses his negotiating skills. More than that, he skillfully weaves his way out of a tricky situation and then he serves on these ladies. He says, ladies, you go, take a, you go chill under the palm. Let me feed and water your flocks. And they get back early because he's done all the hard work. And the daughter's dad says, well, let's finish verse 19. They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Verse 20, he said to the daughters, then where is he? Ladies, this is an important point. When you find a guy who's willing to water your flock. <laughs> why, he says, why have you left the man? Call him. Call him. That he may eat bread. Let's have him over for supper. This is obvious. This is 101. When you find a good guy who's not self-serving, have him over for dinner. Introduce him to your parents. Verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses, Moses his daughter Zipporah, one of the seven. Verse 22. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner, a stranger 
in a foreign land. All right, let's have a look at what's happening here. The land of Midian is a very barren land. And so the contrast here must have been huge for, for Moses. He must have really felt like a loser. He's had to run. And he's run to the worst possible space. And, and, and it's so dry and barren. And it's really the outback. And so he finds this well and he goes and he sits there. He sits there and he's pondering his life. He's pondering. He's blown it. He's, he's seriously blown it. So much for being a deliverer. So much for being a prince in Egypt. Now I'm a fugitive. He's out of his land. He's out of his country. He's away from his people. It really does seem like it's all over for him. And then seven young pretty girls come walking along to water their flock. And Moses seizes the opportunity. Moses seizes the moment to flex some muscle, but in the right way. He's learned from his mistakes. He's, we, we don't know how much time has taken place between this moment and what happened in Egypt. But we do see a different Moses emerging. We see him learning. And he negotiates his way and he begins to serve on these ladies and their dad is so impressed. He says, let's get him over. Moses comes over and he gets a whole lot more than he bargained for, right? He gets a family. He gets a wife. He gets a son. So what I want to do now is I want us to do two things. I want us firstly to look at Moses personally and draw out some conclusions. And then I want us to look at Moses typically. And then I want to look at how the story ends because it doesn't end there. Firstly, Mo, let's look at Moses personally. The first thing I want us to see is that God is able to use imperfect instruments. We spoke about this last week, that we can be tools or instruments in God's hands. But it's remarkable how many times these instruments are broken instruments, blunt instruments, lost instruments. Inappropriate instruments, the wrong instrument. You know, I need to, I need a Phillips screwdriver and I've got a flathead screwdriver. Why are you a Phillips and not a flat? I mean, come on. Or whatever it might be. You're, you, the hole is round and you're square. It, life goes like that. And sometimes God just needs more time to work on you. Because you are the right instrument, but, but you haven't been shaped enough. And we see this in Moses. He is. He is going to be the deliverer. He is going to be God's instrument. But right now he wasn't ready. And he had short-circuited God's plan and took matters into his own hands. Moses literally jumped the gun. You know, when, in the Olympics when they line up for the 100 meters and, and, and they're all there. And you've got that one guy who keeps jumping the gun. And you're kind of like, just, just, let's just move this guy out the way. He's really irritating. Let's get the race going. But if you jump the gun too many times, you get disqualified. But that's not what we see, right? Moses goes to Midian, and it looks like he's disqualified. And then God brings him a new family. God sees him there. God cares for him. God blesses him even in the outback. Moses begins to learn from his mistakes. And I think we too can just take a moment here to learn from 
his mistakes. Number one, I just want to highlight is this. We need to be careful of emotionally driven decisions. You see, Moses had zeal without wisdom. Moses saw the injustice. Moses felt compassion. Moses got angry. And then he got even. He took matters into his own hands. He made an emotional decision. He acted on impulse. And things got out of hand. Guys, this is, we can learn from this. And we should learn from this. When you're in a space that is emotionally charged, when you're in a space or a season of life where, where your feelings are all over the show, you need perspective. Don't do something that you will regret. Seek counsel. Slow down. Stop. Don't make life decisions when you're emotionally invested and you don't know how to handle it. Speak to someone. Speak to a parent. Speak to a friend. Speak to a pastor. Get in a community group. Sign up. Don't. This is an emotional appeal for a good reason. All right? Number two, be careful of relying on your own strength and gifting. You see, Moses had everything going for him. He had been well-educated, well-trained. He was gifted, but he relied on his gifting. His character needed to be shaped and formed. And he, we see, what we see is he operated in his own strength. He was confident in his own ability. We don't see him praying. We don't see him seeking God's face. He's just kind of like, hey, I've been trained. I can do this. And he takes matters into his own hands and he does it in his own time. Number three, be careful of living for man's approval. Did you notice that Moses was very aware of what others were thinking? And as people, as human beings, we are bound to fail, always fail, when we are more concerned about what others think than what God thinks. Guys, we really, really need to settle the human approval issues of our hearts. F.B. Mayer says this. He says, if God's time had really come. So Moses is thinking it's his time. If God's time had really come, and if Moses was conscious of being divinely commissioned to execute judgment upon the Egyptian, which is exactly what he did, he, he thought he would intervene, and he would judge the Egyptian, and if he felt assured of God's presence with him, he would not have looked this way and that way. Because he had a guilty conscience. And so we learn from Moses personally. But we also need to learn from Moses typically. What do I mean by that? Well, Moses becomes a wonderful picture pointing us to Jesus. Moses will become a deliverer. But before he becomes a deliverer, he fails miserably. And in failing, we, we learn lessons for ourselves, but we also learn about our true and greater deliverer, Jesus, who will not only deliver us out of our exodus, but he will deliver us into his loving arms. What do we learn? Well, we learn that Moses was moved with compassion for his people, and that's a good thing, tick. But then he responds badly, cross. When Jesus arrives, he too is moved with compassion. 
He looks upon the people of Israel and he says they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are scattered. He's moved with compassion. But then what does Jesus do as a deliverer? He doesn't take people's lives. He lays down his life. What a contrast. Where Moses took a life, Jesus lays down his life. You see, Moses took things into his own hands, whereas Jesus committed himself into the Father's hands. If it be your will, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. In fact, what we see in the story is that Moses actually did start out well. And, and, and we see that he was moved with compassion. And there was a sense of injustice, but he just executed poorly. In the book of Hebrews, we read about this positive start that Moses made. Look at this. In Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 26, it says this, By faith, Moses, so he's acting in faith when he had grown up. So this is the same moment that we've just studied. When he had grown up, what did he do? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he said, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to my people. The text goes on, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Look at this. For he was looking to the reward. He was looking to God in that moment when he decided to identify with his people, when he decided to put on the deliverer hat, and then he messed it up in the process. But he did in the beginning. He was looking to God. So what happened? I want to suggest what happened is he stopped looking to God. And what did he do? This is our third and final point. Looking at God, verse 12. Look what he does. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses, what did he do? He stopped looking to God. Obviously, metaphorically, yeah, but, but there's a real sense in which this is illustrating this, isn't it? If Moses looks this way, and he looks that way, but he doesn't look up. He doesn't keep his eyes on God. And guys, we're exactly the same. You know, we might start out well. We might begin well. We might start the Christian journey, and we're looking to God, and we're all excited. And by faith, we step out because we've looked to God, and then we start looking at people. And we start looking for man's approval. And we start looking inside ourselves. And we stop looking to God. Now what's fascinating is the story actually ends with God looking in a particular direction. It begins with Moses looking upon the Egyptian slavery. And then he looks left and right. And the story ends with God himself. Looking down on this whole situation. Let's read the last few verses. Verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. So yeah, it's been a long time. Those many days, the king of Egypt dies. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. 
And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse 25, here it is. And God saw. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. See, what we see here is a glimpse into the kindness of God, of the faithfulness of God. The God who is all-knowing, who, who, who actually never forgets. You know, it's interesting that, that he's pictured here in very human terms. It's to help us understand. It's like as if he forgets. It says God remembered. Well, he never forgot in the first place. You see, this cry from the Egyptians came up to God. The text is so illustrative, isn't it? It's, it's picturing prayers and, and groans coming up to the throne. of. It's like a phone call. It's like Israel were phoning at last. They were phoning God, and God picks up the phone, and he says, hey, how's it going? And they say, it's horrible. Have you forgotten us? And he's like, oh, sorry. I forgot. I haven't heard from you in a while. That's not what's happening here. No, no, no. God's always seen. God has always heard. God has always known. And God has got it. Moses wasn't ready. God's got to train him. God has got to prepare him. The people weren't ready. God's doing stuff behind the scenes. We don't see his invisible hands. We don't see his spinning wheels. But we need to know that he knows. He hears. He sees. He remembers. He will never forget his children. God saw. And as we're going to see in the next few weeks and months, God is going to act. God is going to act and God is going to judge. And justice will be served and rescue will come. And you might be going, when God? When? 40 years, another 40 years. I mean, that's a long time. But God sees. God sees you. God hears you. And God knows. And he will keep you. He will hold you. He will keep you. He will not let you go. You know what I find amazing in our sense? Today in the new covenant, it says here that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, the good news for us is that God, he does see us and he knows us and if we're trusting in Jesus his son for our salvation then there is one thing he doesn't remember our sins they've been forgiven and this doesn't mean that we then live however we want no no what it rather does is it frees us from sin and it enables us to live in light of his faithfulness knowing that even our mistakes now will not turn God's back on us. God was faithful to Moses. God was faithful to the people of Israel. And he will be faithful to you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word to us tonight. And we pray that you would stir our hearts. That as we learn from Moses, we would... Be so excited to see Jesus in these stories. That where Moses failed, we see Jesus succeeded. Moses was rejected by his people and so too Jesus was rejected. Moses failed. 
Jesus succeeded. Jesus was executed. The only perfect man who ever lived. And we might ask, why? Why was he executed? Why was he struck down? Why was Jesus struck down? And the answer is, for me. Because he took my sin. And Jesus became sin. And so God struck him. Isaiah 53 says he was smitten. He was wounded for our transgressions. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. Thank you that you were struck down. You, in a sense, were unjustly killed. And then we know that the reason this happened was for our sake. For our sake. You rescued us. In dying, you saved us. And so we thank you that you are the great deliverer. You are the great prophet, priest, and king that we need. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we learn from this story, we receive faith and we receive courage to hold on and to welcome you and your Holy Spirit in our lives to shape us and to mold us that we would not short-circuit your process, Lord, that we would go through the disciplines and that you would use us as instruments. Even if we've messed up, Lord, we want to come back. No matter what's in our past, no matter how bad it's been, it was bad for Moses, it was bad for David, for some of us, it's been really bad. And we think we're disqualified. But God says to you tonight, I see you, I know you, and I want to use you. Come back. Come back to me. Cry out to me. Let your voice be heard in the Father's ears. Speak to him. Come to him. And he will restore you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.